Thanks for tuning in to the Grid Daily Startup Show podcast. I'm your host, Philip Lanos, and we're going to dive into the world of startups, from conception to funding to scale-ups and exits. These interviews are going to run across all industries, with entrepreneurs sharing their best stories, mistakes to avoid, and even their wildest entrepreneur moments. So without further ado, let's start. Okay. Peter, it is an absolute pleasure to have you here today. Do you do you remember the first time you considered yourself creative? Is there a, a point in time, maybe when you were younger, where creativity was like a, a, a clear idea to you? It wasn't just you as a self-expression, which as we know, uh, to some degree is what creativity is, but that you were very clear on the fact that you were being creative. Can you trace that back at all? That's a really good question. You know, in some ways, I'm kind of an anomaly. I'm the youngest of five. And, um, you know, one of my sisters is a psychiatrist. One's a lawyer. One of my brothers is a judge. One of my brothers is a chemist. And then I'm sort of, you know, I, the artist and kind of the less linear path. And I think that also sort of made me realize there was something different. And it's not to say that none of them are creative. They're all very creative in their own way. And problem solving in any form is creative. I think we have an idea that creative only means, you know, artistic expression. And that's something I really want to sort of do away with that myth, you know. I'm so glad that you said that in the way that you said that, because I agree with you. I think the fact that everything was so one-sided that it brought you to perceive as early as possible for, especially in your professional life, for where you may have wanted to go and what allows you to look at things so differently and why you're able to mentor people about the stuff that you do today. And so with that said, I think it also explains the the level of innovation that you can see around every corner because you, you do specialize in helping it's part of creativity, right? Is innovating and right. doing some of those things. So can you share some of the principles or strategies that you believe are essential for mastering the art of innovation? Sure. Um, the big one is, and it's kind of bringing it a little more down to earth. Um, people think innovation is always this coming up with this wildly brand new idea and people suffer terribly as a result of that because they're like, I'm not getting the big idea. Um, Really, innovation is simply making connections between things that already exist that people haven't made before or haven't seen before. You know, yes, there have been inventions in history where somebody comes up with something, you know, incredibly new that transforms the world. But most of innovation is simple things, simple connections that no one else has made before. I think a large part of my work is helping people free themselves of the small picture. And kind of, you know, being able to stay in a space that's a little larger, it's a little more undefined and therefore a little more uncomfortable, but being able to stay in that space and understand their own process. Because once you have that piece, then you know how to stay in that space, right? Like, this is how I know it works for me. And I'm at that point where I feel uncomfortable and I know if I can hang in there, I'll get to that next step that works for me rather than the panic of, it's not working like that book said. I love that. It's like you're saying, you know, creativity and innovation isn't like the scientific method. I mean, you could probably use something like the scientific Absolutely. method, right. but it'd be your right. own version of it is what you're saying, right. where there's a sort of repeatable process internally that might get the the uh, the machine moving along 
Do you right. have any particular favorite examples of innovation or creativity yourself that you sort of really just love how that came about because it it ties in what you believe so well? Yeah, I have one. It's kind of it's maybe a little obscure, but it's um, from the reign of Queen Victoria in London. And there was a call put out for seeking a cure for malaria. And there was a belief that there was some people knew that there was something in burning coal and charcoal that helped prevent malaria, but they didn't know what it was. So there was a call put out by the Royal Society of Science to find this thing. And there was this one kid who was 17. He lived with his parents. So all young people who still live with your parents, there's great hope. Um, he was doing these experiments and he couldn't get anywhere and it kept failing and it kept failing. And he was really sort of puzzled, you know, why he couldn't figure it out. But he noticed that in burning coal the way he was, there was this beautiful purple film left in the, the, the beaker, the glass that he was working with. And he was curious about it. And partly because it was, the color was so interesting and because it was so beautiful. And what he realized was that it had the potential as a fabric dye. And at the time, there was no synthetic dye that could be used to make fabric purple. And purple was always the most expensive color for clothing, and which is why it's associated with royalty, because it took all these natural resources that were very expensive and very rare. So he'd started doing some experiments with the film and dyeing fabric. And lo and behold, he was the inventor of the first synthetic dye for purple, which coincided with the marriage of Queen Victoria's daughter. And Queen Victoria only wore black, but for the wedding, she wore this mauve, is the right print color, purple, and set off this passion for that color. And the timing was such, he found the dye that worked to get that color that mass audience could get um, and became, you know, in money of his time, close to a billionaire from that invention. So just the trajectory of I'm searching for a cure to malaria to finding this color, um, that's an extraordinary leap. And I think most people would have quit after four experiments didn't work, right? Like, I'm not getting it. Um, but the curiosity and the noticing of the color and just hanging in there with what's possible with this. I know there's something possible here. Um, transformed a whole industry. Uh, so I, to me, I, I, you know, it's kind of an obscure example, but I just, I love everything about it just because there's no way you could plot that out on paper, you know, and, you know, from mosquito bites to changing an industry that you have no association with. Um, so those kind of leaps are possible if you can stay open and curious. I love that it's obscure because most people who are listening are likely going to be thinking to themselves, okay, sure, innovation is easy for those who, you know, already, of course, were set up for success, but something like that is a clear example of this. And I think that ties in with another thing, another subject, I should say, that you are specifically uh, experienced uh, and qualified to speak on, and that is uh, taking risks 
versus impulsivity, right? And, and what this looks like. Now, this could have been seen as a risky move by, by people back in the day, but as you can see, it clearly paid off. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on how someone can differentiate the difference between I'm being impulsive here and I'm actually taking a calculation. Oh, that's also a really good question. Um, I think the main clue with impulsivity is that it's usually fear-driven and a desire to find a solution immediately because something feels uncomfortable versus a calculated risk, for example. Most of what they do is trying to figure out what could go wrong and how to stop that from happening. And obviously, they can't imagine every scenario, but again, there is a, a larger thinking happening, trying to imagine as many different outcomes as possible, and then saying within that, here's a step I can take that will get us to the next thing. Um, and I think to risk, you know, comes in some ways out of slowness. I mean, I think, again, we always have this idea that creatives or inventors are just walking around like, I'm doing this, and, you know, here's a thing, and this just happened. Um, Usually it's a little slow and involves a lot of sort of noodling around and, you know, maybe I'll go for a walk now and, you know, things that we don't quite think of as action, but are in fact allowing that big idea to come to the surface. And I think, again, it's that question of staying and being able to stay with discomfort just a little longer than we're wired to or taught to. This is really compelling, especially because it's like the opposite of the way society seems to be working right now. Everything, everything seems urgent. Everything seems like now, now, now. And then you wonder why the quality of things haven't been the way they should have when back then things moved a little slower. I think you were even quoted talking about the idea of uh, the, the best idea is a slow idea. Always. You know, that slow idea usually comes out in a burst, but it's a burst that's taken a long time to get there. And often a lot of experimenting and thought and patience. Um, it's kind of like meditation anyway, right? Like you just have to sit there. And sometimes it's boring and sometimes you're like, oh, my brain, I can't turn it off, you know? And then sometimes you can get in that space. And the more you're able to sit there, the more likely it is you can get in that space. And I think that's really powerful. So that is the startup moment right there. I, I would say th this is truly the startup moment because most startup founders are going to be feeling uncomfortable a lot of the time. There's this degree of uncertainty, which I know you speak to uh, a lot of in your work. And I think not only having set the groundwork here in our conversation by talking about, you know, what it looks like to be creative and how it may not be the most popular thing. It may not be the most famous thing. You may feel like you're completely a fish out of water and everything's moving slow and painfully dull. And yet, like you said, while inspiration may strike, there's also something to be said about something gradually moving forward. So for the people who are listening, who are startup founders that are hearing all this, and at the same time, they're being told, you know, you just got to show up every day. And then they're asked to come up with their business story on top of that, but yet they have to make money. It's like, as somebody who has experience in not only mentoring these people and getting them to, to speak uh, the language of both the most creative and innovative people in an industry, but also to help them understand how to keep their career moving forward. Do you have anything specifically you'd like to say to a startup founder who may be listening, given the things that we've talked about and maybe something along the idea 
of what it means to be to be an artist and yet at the same time a professional? Um, first of all, keep breathing. We're never quite where we want to be, you know. You know, to get to the next thing requires some travel in between those. You know, it's always possible to get to the other side of something. I think the big mistake most people make, you know, I make it too, is not hanging in there long enough. There's a big result that we're working towards, but never lose sight of the small results that are happening every day. Those are the real markers, right? Those are the things that keep you going. And, you know, it's like working out or trying to lose weight. You don't just drop 50 pounds, you know. It's a very slow, gradual process, and you may not see that change happening, but it is happening. Keep breathing. Stay with your story. Learn your story. Um, and shameless plug, if you need some help, give me a call. I'm, I'm here to help. I really am grateful for the time that you've taken today to stop by. There, there's some really powerful reminders here in this conversation for anyone who's in a startup, either well into it, or just starting out, like you said, there's something, albeit cliche, of the idea of, you know, take it step by step. And yet there are powerful reminders, not only from someone such as yourself who mentors people on a regular basis about this, this idea of you, if you, number one, hold yourself up to some standard that may be the exception to the rule. Good luck with that one, right? That's yeah. one. Right. The, the other is there have been amazing results happening from pivots, pivots that weren't even anticipated and in the most obscure of situations like the story with the die. Right. And yet at the same time, there are also reminders here of understanding what it means to be uncomfortable versus being uh, fear driven and how those who can be self-aware enough to catch themselves remind themselves to breathe, as you said, and yeah. take it slow again. And just starting there, it's like you said, essentially these small wins aren't going to be the end results. And so we're not looking for end results to be the metric that we're following every single day so much as a key result, as they say, right? Something right. That, that just shows progress has been made. And it seems like the people who can articulate those or be aware of those or define those and making that your practice every day of what defines 1% of progress seems to be what makes the most innovative, the most creative people. What is your call to action for the listener and where should they go to connect with you? Um, I'm happy to talk to anybody. I love, you know, learning about what people are doing. That's always exciting. So you can reach me via my website, um, which is a little bit of a mouthful, pmkcreativityguide.com, or just reach out to me on LinkedIn. It's Peter M. Prask. Um, and those are the two best ways, uh, but definitely go to my website. There's, you know, there's a little place that says, you know, say hello and send me an email and I'd love to talk to you. I love it. Thank you so much for stopping by and for opening the door for people to reach out to you. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me, Philip. Thanks again for listening to Grid Daily Startup Show. I'm your host, Philip Lanos, and I got to tell you, I'm very grateful to be able to do this, and I'm grateful that you sat through and listened to this conversation. I hope it brought you the insights you needed or the inspiration you needed to get up and get going. Big shout out to Jordan French, founder of Grid Daily. Can't wait to do this again. Be sure to subscribe, and for whatever you do, Please leave us a review. 
That's how this show grows, and we can continue to bring you conversations just like this. Until next time.